Thank you for joining us for episode nine of Origins Unknown podcast. My name is Claire Huntington, and together with my co-host, Chris Holt, we are so excited to be joined with Nicole for part two. If you haven't already listened to part one of You Don't Look Adopted, please go back and do it now. In addition to finishing Nicole's story, Chris, Nicole, and I delve into some additional adoptee topics. Enjoy! When Jay kind of talked to me that evening, he was he was like, you know, Nicole, you have to know that you are who you are without any of this information. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was like, you are a beautiful person. Um, and now you can sort of like heal from this. Now you can um, close this chapter of your life if you want to, because you have the answers that you, that you need. Um, and that, and whatever her reaction is, has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like sitting on the phone with him, like, bawling and he doesn't you know he doesn't know me like that and he and I just was like bawling but you can't you can't like you couldn't control that you know yeah no it was like it was such a relief that I needed like even just for him that person to be used as a vessel to tell me that information because I think that that's something that all adopters struggle with like but they need to hear that yeah I was talking to my friend about this the other night and I'm and I always like the analogy of the missing puzzle piece like Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. for an adoptee like imagine like a thousand piece puzzle and it's all done and it's still beautiful it still looks good you still can see what it is but there's always that one piece that's that's missing that you'll never be completely whole without this information because it's just it's like a human right like we need Mm -hmm. to know this stuff about us because this is how you like grow you know it's a hinder mm-hmm. that you don't mm-hmm. know these things and so I really thought I love about that. that yeah and I just really took it and I was just wow. like you know he really released me from that um mm-hmm. and it, it was it was quite um and I imagine he he does that a lot like he's got to deal with a lot of big adoptee emotions in, in this work and he was really good and, and so he was always like I, I want to meet you um, and so that evening I had this conversation with Joy and Joy gave me all the context that I needed. Um, she told me about how, um, uh, my birth mother, Dawn, how she got pregnant, you know, when she was 15 Wow. and she lived in Belize and, you know, Belize at the time was like a very Catholic, I think it's still mm-hmm. a very Catholic country. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, it's, you know, of course she couldn't have a baby, but then there was another piece to it. There was another piece where, um, like, it, it, like a scandal or something like that, where, wow. yeah. <laughs> Claire's like, we what? all love a good scandal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So I have the most expressive face ever. Like I, she it, can't play poker. No when poker I, face. When, uh, when I'm listening. A scandal. <laughs> When I she went like this. She's like, what? Yeah, like, I mean, for one, they never knew that Joy was like her sister. So then Joy was telling me, you know, she's telling me, she's like, Nicole, she's crying. I mean, she is, she's held this too. Like, mm-hmm. she's, she's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Like, I can't believe this. Too. I always thought something was off. I remember looking at her when she when she came back from Belize and in my room and she was wearing a yellow dress and she covered up and she's like I remember thinking to myself like what's going on you know um and then she like disappeared for a while you know to have the baby and on a nine-month vacation (laughs) right as like like I just like I just am like so shocked shocked by that that like all these like that like what was going on in that time that women's like yeah I'm just like gonna go away for a while where are you going like don't worry about it I'll be back in six months and I'm gonna have postpartum depression but that's and then she she really kind of started like oh my god it all makes sense it all makes sense so she was kind of saying that basically Dawn was so traumatized from this like in her life 15 she yeah yeah, so she's explaining it you know from that side right she's like telling me like so joy has has a relationship with your birth mother yes so this is where it gets sticky because joy is actually was very very close with with them their family got it um 
which is interesting. So Joy is Belizean and Honduran. Okay. Oh. And, sh- and she's the prominent one in SF that lives close to you, right? No, no, that's, that's, um, Jennifer, my other cousin. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, oh, yeah. Okay, Jennifer okay. and Bavette. So they kind of just, so what it ended up being is that Leonard, their dad is my mom's first cousin. Got it. Yeah. So that's, you know, so then Joy's my second cousin. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was just talking to her. She was just like, you know, Don was very, um, she used the word disturbed. Like she actually used that word. She's like, she's been very disturbed like throughout her life. And, you know, she never like got married, kids, which um, I find very interesting as well. Um, And then she told me like about how she, a story that she heard that there was a possibility that Dawn was either trafficked or like she ended up with a boy and it's like you know the stories get so like convoluted like you never really know it's a bad case of telephone (laughs) yeah basically and 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 so had to like leave so she was left in belize with her brother her older brother um and and her dad and it sounds like her mom actually came back to the united states first and so she was over there and she got pregnant And from my understanding, um, they, they didn't know. They say they, they, you know, they, they didn't really know. So I was talking to, um, to Joy and Joy's like, you know, I can't believe this. Like, I just, people need to know about you. Like they need to know. And I'm like, well, like, hold up, like, this is not, like, ease up. Like, slow you know, your like, roll, slow your roll. <laughs> because she was so, like, like, she just couldn't excited. believe it. Yeah, yeah, like, excited and, like, and just whatever for their family. Like, what does it mean to have this person, like, come back after 30-some-odd years and then just, like, hey. like Adoption yeah. plot twist. Like, this isn't a Netflix series. This is my life. Like, I've come to you in confidence and then – respecting that relationship and it's that thing that we talk about with our stories that when we share our short stories with people that they automatically almost take ownership of it and like mm-hmm. tell us how what to do and like oh you have to do this next or don't you do like you know don't you feel this way and so there's that almost betrayal where you know you're told her this information she's like we got to tell everybody you're like no 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 yeah and yeah. it comes from a good place but like yes it, it's just a little like hey like sl- slow down baby steps right. let's try to process so she had identified like just so so I have um one uncle and and three aunties on their side like you know my yeah Ooh. and they were like you know pretty well to do and she was like well um I want you to talk to your uncle Dan right and I was like, okay. He was very like hesitant to, he was kind of just like a, who sent you? First, oh. he, he was like, I don't, I don't really, I don't know if he knew. And if he did know, he never said it out loud. Like he, I think people had like an inkling that this had gone on and that maybe something had happened, but they never quite like asked enough questions or put it together. Mm-hmm, enough. Mm-hmm. And so for him, it was a very interesting kind of a full circle because he also gave me the speech about not opening Pandora's box and what res- whatever responsibility that I have to my birth mother, not to essentially like obliterate her whole entire life at this point. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was hard for me because I'm like, you know, here is this, I'm just trying to find answers I'm not, you know, trying to go on Oprah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to do, I'm just trying to, and it's mine. Like, Mm -hmm. it's mine, you know? And I think a lot of times when we talk like adoptees, you know, this thing where we start looking for our families, like people feel like we have some sort of like an unrequited responsibility to like our biological people. Like, Mm -hmm. nah that's that's it's I can do whatever I want with my life you know like if I want to find this information like I should be able to Mm -hmm. but my uncle my he was very much like you know you need to think about that before you start um because that person is very fragile 
So he well, was basically implying that you could essentially ruin someone or like hurt someone by trying to open this door. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that almost feels like, and I've heard this, not necessarily your situation, but it, it gives you that, it's that same shame of hurting someone just to find yourself. And I pictured that yeah. analogy that you gave me for non-adoptees. If you've done a puzzle and you've spent all week doing a puzzle with your family, you know, during the rainstorm and there's not that you can't find that one piece of puzzle. One it's going to drive you nuts. About, no, no. Everybody nuts. is flipping <laughs> tables. They're looking in their pockets. They're like looking in their shirt. And so like here you got given this responsibility as a child to not hurt your family by telling. And then that triggers in you that previous trigger and then secretly looking at this letter and then misinformation. And then here, this person that you're hoping to get answers from, you know, says that to you. And like that just had to kind of trigger that, that shame. And then you feel this responsibility that if you go find and find your family, you might hurt, hurt your birth mother. Like, how does that make you feel now? Like, do you still feel the same or? I struggle with it. I struggle with it because I had to, it, it started to end up like a series of unfortunate events. Like basically joy, she was, she felt so strongly about this. Like she wanted, she took it on because she, I think she saw it as a way for Don to like get some relief from it, but it, it comes when it comes, you know, everyone can't, it's not going to be like that for everyone. And, and so she wanted to tell um, um, Don's sisters about me and that it just didn't go well. Like, it mm. was just like, no, she, like, she we told don't, them? she did. And, and it wasn't her place to do it. Without and your permission. Without my permission. And it really kind of like ruined things. Like, you know, she just couldn't hold it. And then she tried to like confront Dawn about it. And Dawn just wasn't, she wasn't ready to do it. She wasn't ready to hear it. Yeah, And so it's been really hard because like, so where my cousins play into it, because they literally live like, I remember meeting my cousins for the first time. She invited me over for brunch. Bavette, who lives in San Francisco, like literally Bavette. She lives like down the street, right? And I remember going over there and she just was so accepting of me, you know, and she's like so Belizean too. Like mm. this, I don't, I don't know. I'm saying that. I don't know how I'm articulating it, but it's so different it's from what I am, you know, like, and I'm like, wow, I'm a part of this. Like, she's a part of me. Like, this is my blood relative. And she was always so accepting and loving and she cooked for me. And she's like, we're going to go wow. to Belize, you know, and um, have all you been? these things. I have not, not yet. And I when really are you planning on going? I don't know. Soon. <laughs> it's been on my, it's definitely like whirling around. I've been thinking about it more and more lately. Now that you can't, I think a lot of us with uh, the current restrictions and stuff, all the things that we've been putting off, I think that's something that we've been putting things off. And Chris was supposed to go to Korea before oh, okay. all of this happened. And so I, I feel like, you know, that'll be one of the things that you do. Yeah. And then I don't actually... I couldn't find my biological dad. So that's another oh. thing that it's still kind of swirling about. Like I can't, that's a little bit harder. And I actually contacted Jay the other day to see like, you know, what that would look like because um, it, he'd have to go international in order to do it. Yep. And that makes it a lot more difficult. I mean, yeah, if, if you're, if Dawn was open, obviously to talk about it, then maybe you could probably. Right. Fast track. But she won't. She won't yep. say who it is. She's yep. not, she won't. Oh, you've asked it. her directly? Um, I haven't asked her directly, but oh, I yeah, sorry. Jay but Jay asked her. Jay was Got like, it. Well, do you happen to know her who her father is? And she was like, No, she won't. Ha- has Jay talked to her since that one conversation no. at all? Mm-mm. Okay. He hasn't. And so in in his opinion, so one of the things that I'm really enjoying about just you discussing Jay, and I'm really hoping we can get him on the show I'm I think but it's like the fact that he just like not not only is he this like the witcher of adoption um for those of you haven't watched that show it's a guy who has a special set of skills and can find anything but he also is just taking his own time to let you have these stages of acceptance right and then and guiding you through this process and that actually makes me cognizant of the fact that like me googling people till three in the morning might not be the healthiest way so that this might be <laughs> probably not, and, probably not. And then like one of, one of my friends informed me was like, Hey, Claire, did you know when you looked at people's LinkedIn profile, it tells you, you looked at their LinkedIn profile. I was like, 
it's it's like, like it's like the 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 drunken online shopping at night. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, I don't feel like anybody? this woman's got an alert that like this woman has viewed your profile thirty two times. I'm like, I'd I like to hire you for a pipeline. Is it, um, is it process? I think everybody's no. process is different. So mm-hmm. I think some you have to have the emotional bandwidth for that. Yeah, like, I and I think you have to really be in a space because you it's so unknown like you literally do not know what you're gonna find people can be dead people can be like not so great like that's another thing that you have to grapple with and that's the thing with my with my biological father this idea that maybe he wasn't a good person that like Mm. she went through something with him that was not good and so this person is still you know a part of me like so I think you just have to be ready for that because Mm. it can it can really um, catch you off guard. I, you know, it, it really can. And, and, and from what Dan, my uncle was kind of made me feel as though Dawn was still her 16 year old self, like in, in all of it, she, you know, she got oh. stuck she, there. She got like, what is it called? She got, it's like a time capsule. Yeah. No, there's like an, there's an actual word for it. She got, um, stunted at that age and that, that your emotional processing so when you have a traumatic experience Mm. a lot of trauma victims so you'll find kids who were abused growing up like sexually they'll act like that age almost like so if a kid had something happen at 11 you stop growing emotionally so you're stunted and you're in that trauma yeah right and I imagine that that's what it is like for her Mm -hmm. and so I I grapple with this like because it's still not I haven't tied up all the loose ends on it you know i um, do you do you go through when going through this birth parent search and and i'm just asking you this just to see if you have a similar experience as me where and maybe this is for other adoptees listening to this but like when you people that have done birth parent searches i go through these ebbs and flows where i feel super motivated and then once i hit a roadblock or something negative yeah it's just like i'm not going to deal with this and then you just put it off for months and years and yes. then you're like, wait, no, I'm I'm almost forty now. Like life is flying by, and I, like you said, once we get older, and we talked about this in the early episodes, like for adoptees that want to search, if you wait later in life, most likely there might be people that won't be alive, and then you yeah. won't have answers. You well, know? you don't think about that. We become these yeah. invincible people that we're like, well, I'll look when I'm ready. And like, it's like the, yeah, there's that idea stores. that yeah, like it's, like, it's yes. always available. And like, <laughs> you don't think about it, right? And like also too, just time that's wasted. I I think about like having siblings, and like I have interactions with my nieces and nephews, and you know they're the most incredible tiny little human beings in the world. And you're realizing that there's other people, you know, that you could have time, you know, mm-hmm. and we've probably missed the boat that grandparents. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Hearing, and like, and that's where like the nuggets of history and, and in talking to my adoptive grandmother, she's nuggets of history and truth, even about my adoption search that I didn't yeah. realize. Yeah. And you're not having that one to one. Yeah. Like like Nicole said, though, like the other issue here is is being ready for that, you know? Yeah. So it's like we could tell adoptees, hey, if you're young, do that birth parent search. But everyone's on a different part of this kind of roller coaster. And I think you have to identify what it is you're looking for. Yeah. Because it's not always the same thing for every adoptee. It's like, you know, for me, I always had just this feeling of like, just not belonging, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and also wanting to like find like a, my, a culture, like wanting to, when I found my birth, uh, 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 my biological family, like my, my mother, she's like a journalist. Like she like, you know, had, um, like she went to school for like journalism and she does writing. I love writing. It's always something that I love. One of my aunts is like a baker. I love baking. I'm so good at it. I, I'm like, I'm obsessed. And so when you see, you hear those things and you're like, wow, like this makes so much sense. And, Mm. um, you know, the one aunt that looks exactly like me, like she's very like outgoing and, and, you know, I would look at some of her Instagram stuff and like, we would post like similar things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So it all like just kind of fit together and, and that was priceless for me. You know, Mm -hmm. it was enough at the time to satiate that need to to really 
figure out like who I was, where I came from. And then, but then like you said, Chris, like it also, sometimes um, it ebbs and it flows so much. Like I haven't seen my cousin in so long because then I got triggered and I was like, I can't hang out with them, you know? This is the cousin and that went to tell the answers. The, well, her, I, I, oh. I don't talk to her. She, and she reaches out to me like all the time. Like, oh, yeah. okay. But okay, okay. Bevette that lives in San Francisco, I hadn't seen yeah. her in a long time. And she's mm-hmm. like, cousin, like, come see me. And I'm, and I'm, and there's, there was something there. And I was like, why can't I do this? Why does this feel so weird to me mm-hmm. to go hang out with them? So her sister who I met, you know, there's, there's like seven of them. There's wow. tons of and she's having a wedding in Costa Rica and she invited me, you know, like, it's so weird. <laughs> it, like, I, I'm just wondering for you, because now you have contact with some blood related relatives. Like, is it, you know, it's like, you have this idea in your head, like, oh, when I meet them, I, I'm going to get involved or I want to, you know, for some of us, it might not be that extensive. It's just like, I just want a picture. I just want to know what they look like. And that's it. I want to know why and whatnot. But I, I think when you're saying those things about, just it's feeling weird and you don't know why like that's so fascinating to me because I could I, I even though I haven't met other blood related relatives I could see how I the search is something I want to do but once you're there it's like why does this feel weird you know yeah it's so uncomfortable because it's just not something that I'm used to yeah and then you know even like with my son like he might do something that I do like you know like he'll have a mannerism or something like that and I'll be like wow, like genetics are so, you know, and even the way when I met Bavette, like our vibe, like, like that's my family member, you know? And, and they were, again, they were so accepting and so loving and they're always like, Nicole, answer your phone. I'm going to keep calling you. Like, you know, they, don't- <laughs> they just know, they just know. Yeah. Like yeah. that's okay. So is that a, for you guys too? Do you find that you can go a really long time without talking to people or if you're going through something, you kind of retreat into yourself and like deal with it yourself. Like to the point where people are like, talk to me, open up. Like, is that, do you guys feel that's that way too? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. I can, I can go, I mean, I can cut people off and, or I can just, it's I purge, I purge yeah, all the like time. It's just not there. Like I don't, I don't I have that wonder, like, you know, even this idea of like love, like, love from an adoptee's perspective like how how it's so different i think like and how just the way that our attachments are are lack thereof are just they're so different you know i just i look at the world as though a person um they don't have to stay if they don't want to like because you know even if they are what does that even mean yeah right (laughs) they're like no we're blood like it's like no like if the one person that's supposed to keep you and love you and like take care of you can go like all bets are off and that is another thing too like adoptees I feel like when something's gonna go wrong like I feel like I have the ability to pick up and leave any relationship or to like not see anyone and I don't know if I'm capable in comparison to other people I don't think I've missed anyone that's a human not like I've missed dogs but I don't know if I miss people yeah. Right. And like, I wonder, like, am I broken? Like, I've never felt the sense of being like, I miss you so much. Like, I wish you were here. I'm like, hey, it's nice to see you again. But I don't think I. Oh, my God. That's weird you? that you just said that, because now I'm thinking about it. That's you better weird. say that you miss me because we're best friends. Yeah, I miss no, you. No, but I, I see what you're and I saying. Miss Elaine. <laughs> I see what you're saying, though, like with the. the this was a test. This is actually just a big ruse to see if Chris missed me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's 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 like the word itself and then the actual deeper actual emotional connection to that. Like do when I say I miss someone, what does that mean? Do I miss them miss them or am I just saying that because that's what it, you you're should supposed say to it. say? Like Well, I wait. I agree. I don't really miss a lot of people and I actually always sometimes I think to myself like sometimes I'll talk about this with my therapist like my attachment to Jonah and just like I don't know that I necessarily like miss him like when he's gone, you know Mm. what I mean? And it's not like, um, it's just that thing that you're, that you're saying. I think it's like, I miss him in a different way, but I've always sort of had, um, this idea that people are just like fleeting, you know, it's just always revolving. Like they're just here and they're not, and they're here and they're not. And And like what it is. I don't know. In in terms (laughs) of love, like how many relationships would you two say 
that someone says, I love you. And you just say it because you know, you should love them. Like, you're like, I, I like, you know, that you're like, this should be love. And like in a relationship, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like there's been so many times where someone's like, I love you. And you're like, you just want to be like, thank you. (laughs) But, but then if you say that, then you, and you're just like, do you love me? Like, what is that? Like somebody, you know, like, what, are you just going to leave me? Like, definitely like do it like a focus around like adoptees and love. I think we're going to. So that's going to be a whole series. What's the idea of love, you know? And, and, um. Like, why are we broken? That the F series, why are we broken? Part 47. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like this, this whole conversation is now like making me question. With a pet. Like, so that's where I like found the correlation. Like I miss like my dog. I'd be like, what is she doing? What is she feeling? And like, for me, that was something like animals. I collect connected with animals so well. Like I, even now, like even filming this like podcast and I've had to really change like my conversation style, like in conversations, I'll often just like sit back and enjoy watching. And you can't do that because that's awkward for people yeah. to listen to a podcast, like my empty chair. But like with like how I talk to people, I struggle with that. But with animals, I was always so laser focused. I, I react eat really well with animals and I get their boundaries. And like I miss dogs, but I don't miss humans. And like, do you guys miss animals? See, I was never an animal person. And that's the thing. Like I... To me, animals actually, for me, like there's something about them that I wanted to explore a little bit more like in therapy because the fact that they, um, like they don't live very long, you know, like, yes. Uh-huh. Like, and I always I just, thought, I just I always went had, through like, that. a weird fascination with death. So I was just kind of like, you know, it, something about animals like feels triggering for me. Mm. And like, I, it's funny you say that I just went through that. So I joke that I only learned how to deal like, to person through my dog that I rescued when I was 19, 18, 19. And we were together for 13 years. And so she was my reason for like keeping going and like, you know, and I lost her last year around my birthday. And so for me, like that was like huge trigger, like even losing my dog, like triggered me to even kind of start veganism, just like all of these things. And it it isn't until recently that I'm like considering having an animal, but it's funny that you say that because every person in my life, that animal was holding me together. So we were all just being like, when is this Mm going to happen? And then it happened. And then a lot of other things in my life, I didn't realize how much I was using this dog as a therapy assistance animal for love, affection, fellowship like right she like was the linchpin of my entire life and so it's funny how like when we talk about attachments Chris like did you have a blanket or a stuffed animal that you were wildly attached to as a child oh Uh, yeah 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 Yeah, and and, I mean I my parents we we had pets growing up most of my life and I never had a connection to them it was more of like oh it's a family dog I don't want to take him out you take him out and like who's taking care of this dog and my all my brothers and sisters, we're going to take care of it. We're going to take care of it. As soon as we got it, we didn't take care of this dog. And my mom basically <laughs> was the one that took care of the dog. But yeah. until I got our, our cats, that's the only, these cats are the only animals that I've personally had that I, I do feel obsessed like. Obsessed with? Yeah, totally obsessed. Um, like super but, obsessed with? Uh, yeah, like. Like it's I, like, it's cute to watch. I to have, like, I have t-shirts with my cats on it. I have socks with my cat's face on it. I'm going to get a leg sleeve with my cat's focal. The focal point of the leg sleeve really? is my cat's. So like, he's cat, he's, so he's cat dad AF and I wasn't yeah. a cat person. And uh, it was something really funny happened. I was thinking about said dog and I was literally not even kidding you, like staring into the fog. Mm. And Chris was just like, what's happening? And I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I'm so depressed. Like, do I, and I don't know if other adoptees feel like this, but you're like, what is the point? Like, why? Oh, Oh, but that, but that's part of like the, I think, yeah, the depression is like you wake up and I'm always been a glass half empty person. Like that's just where my mind always goes. I think I make everyone happy. So I went to a therapist that gave me something that I'll never forget. So she basically said, you know, you fear the worst, you glass half empty, you just, you know, expect the worst. And she considered it. And I'm sure you've heard this term a lot. It's just like flying low to the ground because if, if things don't work out, that drop is very short. But when you take chances, you take risks, you're flying high. And if things don't work out, that fall is so dramatic. It's like, that's that risk reward thing. It's like, is it worth it? You know? And I've, I've just gone through so many years of just trying to say, look, 
the great things in life only happen when you take those risks, when you're flying high. And it's going back to that Pandora's box. You have to be okay with a relationship not working out or you getting uh, like fired in a job or something happening that's just not going to go your way. But it's the perfectionism. It's yes. The, yep. imposter no, I, syndrome. the imposter syndrome. That is yes. my biggest. I, I, I experience Ooh. this every episode, every, every episode. Like people can literally watch me go from like, you know, and I've gotten comments before I go from being like, to like, <laughs> I'm in this now. Like I'm one of us. Yeah. Right. Like, and I struggle with that. And, and, and it's so crazy that you're talking about like, you're the low to the ground. I'm the, I'll be low to the ground and then I'll be passionate. And then I, put everything into it. And then when it crashes, I'm like, I suck. Yeah. I, I'm terrible. You're like, like, like uh, why do I keep on doing yeah. that to myself? Like, da, 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 mm-hmm. da, yeah. how did I do that so, to myself? But it's like, there's one thing that, um, Claire and I have talked about with, I think this should just be a, a question we ask all people on this podcast. Episode. So when it comes to, uh, self soothing, do you find yourself mm-hmm. a self soother where you don't want to be physically touched when you're having an emotional moment? Um, I hate me. Don't touch me. I have a struggle. This is so, and I'll give you guys a little bit of a vulnerable moment, actually. I grew up, like, with people knowing. Like, it would always be a running joke. Like, Coley doesn't like to be touched. Don't touch her. Like, you know, she doesn't (laughs) want to be hugged. Like, she doesn't want to be. And I would always be like, I can't even have someone, like, hold me. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, do you go like no, no. It, I feel so, everything is awkward. Like, I feel intimacy, oh. vulnerability, action has been like huge struggles throughout my life. And, and I was just saying, like, you know, I was with a friend this weekend and we just cuddled. And I was like, wow, it was like a huge, it may seem really small. It's that huge. for me, I was like, and so as I text him, like, dude, this is huge. Cause I don't let people cuddle me. Like yeah. I don't like to cuddle, but it felt so comfortable, but I've also been doing a lot of healing to like get mm-hmm. to these points. And so it speaks to that just because even me coming here and like talking and sharing my story and even just doing things that I've never done before. Like I've always been so, uh, scared or like so cautious like I'm not like a super duper risk taker in a different way mm-hmm. like I've done I've been risky like in other ways that I probably shouldn't have but Ooh, as far as like we'll talk like, later like good risks you know <laughs> yeah. like where like you said where you're putting yourself out there and you're not afraid of rejection mm-hmm. like to the point where you're like even if I get rejected that's part of the process not being a being afraid of rejection is is it's a big it's a huge. big it's huge and it really has ruled my life yeah. and it wasn't until now that I really unpacked like how much of an impact that it has had on my life and just the things that I want to do and happiness and just so many different things and so I think that that is the part that I'm pushing through the most is like trying to be vo- more vulnerable Mm-hmm. Um, realizing mm-hmm. that being hurt is just a part of life, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, look, like that's the, that idea that like, even with this podcast, we talk about this, this topic of adoption and that there's so many triggers and there's trauma and there's just so many layers to this. But honestly, the, as people view it as like, oh, this is like, a tr- I, I don't want to talk about it. I, I don't want, but the point of this podcast is to open dialogue about these issues and topics because if not, it's like anything else. We're just going to suppress it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to normalize it. And it's always going to be what it is. And I feel like that's that's got to change. And there's too, there are too many adoptees going through these issues alone. alone. And, and there's not even a lot of spaces. Like, yeah, before all of this, I found myself, it was, I found this like um, uh, support group. It was like an adoptee support group. And I'm like, I need to talk about this with my people. Mm-hmm. And so I went like to this random like so it was like a real support group like where like people in a sit in a circle it was like it was yeah. guy's basement was with the bad donuts and like yeah yeah, yeah. Always in basements Why? Like, like fight club like fight club but being able to be there and in that space with those wow. people like it was so healing to just be able to hear yeah. people who had this like you know 
again, I'll go back to this thing. It doesn't, for an adoptee, it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. Like we all share something so sacred and so common amongst us. Like, and it's the energy, like it's so powerful when you're, and it's 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 reinforcing in the sense that it doesn't make you feel crazy because sometimes you exactly. feel like yes. am I just like this because I'm messed up or whatever? Yeah. But when you hear other adoptees saying, "No, I deal with these, this, and this," and you're like, "That's exactly what I deal with." Yeah. Oh my gosh, I see you. You see me. Yeah. And it's and I didn't realize this that I I never really truly felt seen until I met another adoptee. You know, and even with my brothers, like we don't even view her. It's a very weird dynamic. Like we don't talk about it, even though we, it's never been like an issue, but. Or like a discussion. Yeah. Because I told you, I just talked to my brother the other day and it's been 40 years and we never sat down and talked about it. We're like, wait, <laughs> yep, yep, you yep, felt yep. that way too. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to say how grateful I am for you too, because, you know, just being able to be here, being able to talk about this or just people holding space other adoptees like i you know i like clubhouse that i I like the idea of clubhouse because clubhouse Mm -hmm. feels like a support group but i do think that um the distinction is is important fast forward to today what is your relationship with your kind of biological kind of family with cousins and everything else and then your adoptive family so well with my biological family like I said, Dawn, she doesn't, she doesn't want anything to do with me. I still might send her a letter because I feel like I need to, to close that. Like, I feel like I need to just say what I need to say to her because she kind of was like, wasn't trying to hear it or, but I need to get it out. So whether I send it to her or not, I don't know. You know, does she know about your son? I think someone probably told her. Someone may have told okay. her, but I think I might send her like a picture or something like, like that. Like pictures you know? and some letters. That, that might spark something. Exactly. You never know. And it's yeah. my, like, I can do it. I can do it and not feel like I have to feel guilty about it. Because if she doesn't yeah. want to open it, it's yep. more about my process. So. Yeah. And it's about you writing the letter and the cathartic mm-hmm. feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, would, are you going to paper write it, do you think? I, I just picture right. you with yes. a I, I oh, picture I with like a feather quill. <laughs> I picture you having a Benjamin. wax seal. Oh yeah, but oh, yeah. I also it's gonna I, be completely like handwritten. And Enya's playing in the background. And then you're gonna send it through pigeon, pigeon carrier. That's, I am. That's, yeah, I yeah. Just yeah. send it in the mail. <laughs> and she'll just get it if she wants it. Like, like okay. I like I like how it's like that. What the one ten percent that the mail, the U.S. Post, like yeah, loses. Send two. Send two duplicates. Yeah, um, and so I with her my uncle her brother i couldn't at the time i just couldn't connect with him because mm-hmm. he was too focused on, uncle dan? on like yeah uncle dan he was too focused on me want not like like stirring the pot and like, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and i and that was too much for me i was like i can't do that yeah so i wasn't i'm not i'm that's kind of swirling about um joy she's so cute I love her. I just think for, for, I have to continue to work through my feelings about, especially because she's so close to my biological mother. That's a whole, Mm. that's another thing. It's two arms reach for me. Like, you know, it's very triggering. Like I'm just over here on the phone with you. You could go over to her house. Like you can talk to her. So it feels, it's hard for me to talk, to have a relationship with her, but she always reaches out to me, like tells me she loves me or she'll till like Mm. every holiday, my birthday, like she's she's Uh so sweet. Do you respond back uh, to those? Or? I, sometimes I do. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little bit too hard. And, but and I non-adoptees we, don't does she, understand that. Does she know? I, does she know that though? Like that it's she like, understands. Okay, she, she understands. Okay, okay, she does. Okay. And okay. she keeps so, trying. She keeps. Yep. She's she's always good you for know, her. But that's that, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, when you say you can't, would you mind? Like Chris and I both instantly got what you meant. But do you mind explaining that emotion for a second? So, but like, can you explain that emotion for, so I, one of the comments I've gotten is that like, there's certain things when we have this great platform to educate non-adoptees mm-hmm. that things like that. What do you mean by you can't? Cause I, I'm a, a non-adoptee. If you're having this discussion, they'd be like, what do you mean you can't? Like you could just respond. Like why? Yeah. This is your blood you? relative. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Doing? Because rur, rur, rur. so to, for right now, the pain is so palpable. Like I can't like just knowing that she knows my mom can talk to her and see her like 
And then I question, like, do I have a right to ask about my mom? Is is everything going to be focal point of our conversation forever going to be like that? Like, are we ever going to get to a point where we just talk like really organically? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just is, um, there's like a, a wall there. Sometimes I can look at it and I can easily respond to her. And other times I'm like, it makes me sad yep, for, yep. for um, the loss for everybody. But for myself, you know, it makes me really sad sometimes. And then, and um, yeah. So with the birth parent search and everything that, that has transpired, how has that affected your relationship with your adoptive family? So I never came out and told my adoptive mom that, um, or my adoptive dad, my dad, just incidentally, my dad has um alzheimer's dementia Ugh. so that's another that's really hard. difficult thing is that he he's not i started all this and didn't get a, even a chance to like get his perspective or talk to him about it <clears throat> and my mom was always really closed off so with her i was never able to really say it mm. um until recently um i would say like six months i think it was during the pandemic mm. i you know was talking to my mom about some stuff that she had with my brother and you know i just kind of was able to say you know i did find my biological mom and i think she she already knew because my sister her and my sister have an interesting relationship so i think my sister had already clued her in or somebody had tipped her off you know? so big already, families that's how it yeah, works exactly like she already knew <laughs> But her and my relationship is not very good. We have a very difficult relationship. Um, and do you think that that stems because of the insecurity of her with you doing the search and not like, you know, all the stigma when you were kids, just not talking about it and not bringing it up? And I think it's all of that. I think yeah. it's like her, you know, just not allowing me to be myself. Um, I feel like she personally, I feel like she had like a lot of narcissistic qualities that I feel mm. like really affected our relationship. Um, and the adoptee relationship, especially. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, and uh, that triggered in her. Yeah, absolutely. It was. And so we don't, we actually haven't talked like probably since before Christmas, something right. happened and we, and it just was like, you know what? Um, I have in my healing journey, just, just, um, have started to realize that I can choose, I can actually choose who I have in my life and who I don't have. And a yeah. person does not have to default to be in your life just because they call themselves your family. And I think we know that, you know, yep. Yep. but it was something that I always felt like, you know, you get shoved with these people and you're like, gotta accept them, right? And if you don't, you're like a bad person or you're not grateful enough that someone rescued you, you know. Um, or you're alone. Not. Yeah, exactly. Or you're, it's as simple as that. Or you're just, It's like a lose-lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that's really yeah. hard. I have a great relationship with um, my, my sister. Like we talk all the time and my sister is actually a therapist, which is okay. kind of oh, funny. Yeah. You went down that road. Yeah. So uh, I have a great relationship with her. Um, but I struggle with her sometimes too, because I think that her experience is different because she is biological to my mom, yeah. my, uh, my mm. adopted mom. And so um, she may not feel as though there's a differentiation, like there was ever a differentiation made or not feel that. But um, I, me and my brother recently talked about how we felt that there was a difference between us, like as close, yeah. close adoption and then her. You can't deny that. Like that's, yeah. you can't. She tried. I mean, yeah. God bless uh, her. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and I get it. It's hard for people. It's it's very it's. There's triggers on both sides, you know, and, and, yeah, and exactly. yeah, and like my my mom. As much as I am super close with her, and I I probably have the closest relationship with my mom than any of my siblings, but you know, she has triggers, you know? And so I, I honestly think that if we got all our moms together, they could probably figure some stuff out. You yeah. know, just so they could see each other and see, look, we all feel the same way about certain things and it's not just me or this is normal. And 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 I think that that maybe there's, you know, we keep on talking about our end, which is important, but, you know, the adoptive parents are also in a very precarious position, you know, because they're trying to do good, but then also there are insecurities and then people project things and then it's it's all i mean you're in mental health like which i want to kind of segue into that it's 
it's a lot, you know? Well, and I think people miss, um, it's a bit of a misnomer that like adoptees like hate adoption or we think it's bad or it's not that it's just that adoption can be a really beautiful thing. You know, like we don't know what would have happened if our biological parents would have kept us. But, but I think what, what takes adoption from this really beautiful thing to this thing that can be really painful is the the shame and this idea that like, like you said, that I would all, I would want to talk to my adoptive mother and be like, you know, I appreciate you and I love you. And, and as a mother, like, I know that that must've been difficult to not be able to have kids. Like as women in like a really patriarchal society, like we're like, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. And so, so much is of your womanness is Mm -hmm. wrapped up in your ability to bear a child, which it shouldn't be, you know, just knowing that and feeling that, you know, from, from them. So and I wonder, too, if as adoptive mothers, like, and we'll have to talk to someone, is that they probably thought, here, we're having this thing where I'm going to adopt a child and we're going to complete our family without thinking it through that, like, okay, this isn't exactly how I thought it was to be. And then I have a lot of friends who have had babies and they're like, yeah, like, this is hard. Being a pregnant mother's hard and birthing a baby, whereas adoptive moms might think, oh, I'm not connecting with my child or we're having trouble. And they just assume it's because we're adopted versus like the normal right. child child rearing process, right? Like, right. and that they have shame of being like, I'm angry at my child. Is it because they're adopted? Like, am I, you know, like just things like that that we don't think of. Right. And then being able to say that, like that shouldn't be like all taboo, like to mm-hmm. be able to say like, this is not my child. Like mm-hmm. we can be, have a real conversation about adoption is weird, yo. Like, <laughs> like taking someone else's kid and you're like rehoming that kid and you're like changing you know, its you name. You gotta act like, like you gotta pretend that we're like biological, and 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 there's so many different things that come up like in that. Um, even just calling someone mom, like even yeah. just you know, there's so many layers to that. And if we just could talk about it, like maybe it would have been more smoother. (laughs) But I think that that's that's the underlying, uh, I think, solution for a lot of issues going on today is really just having the conversation, normalizing things. And if you don't, if we can't have these conversations, and, and again, we've had feedback where people have been offended by this podcast. And it's like, look, I get that. Well, what do you expect? We're talking about adoption. So let's talk about what's affecting you. Why are you upset? So we can work through it because that's the only way that we can do this is to really have just a calm, collected conversation about things that, yeah, they're going to get real and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to bring up stuff. But, you know, that's part of this whole process. Well, and you know what? I also think there's this piece where like a baby, right? Think about a baby. Like I've been wanting to see a baby lately. I'm like, dang, I've been a baby in a while. But nope. like, it's so cute. It's so, and then people don't think about the kid. They don't think about the young adult. They don't think about the adults the that are our ages, you know, that are still dealing with the residual effects of adoption. Yeah. And so we don't get to talk about that. We just get to talk about the the cute little sweet part where someone rescued this beautiful baby and it's all packaged real The nice newspaper people. article. Exactly. Like, yeah, and yeah. all that. And then nobody ever talks again. Like someone, I was in a group, I'm on like a Facebook group and this lady was like, well, you know, how do you, what do you think, what do you guys think about like international adoption and like what do adoptive moms think about other people who have adopted? And then I just simply put, why do people never ask adoptees these these types of questions? Like- think of like like think of like child mm, actors they're all super cute and then when you see them as adults they're all kind of messed up because they've been (laughs) they've been faced with adult situations and topics and things right and so people were really like you know they were like well you know and, and and it ended up that the person who put up the post she was actually an adoptee which was interesting and I was like you know that's different but I do think that you don't hear a lot of people asking adoptees, older adoptees, like what their thoughts are about adoption, like their real thoughts, like not mm-hmm. just this idea of like, do you think adoption is good or bad? Like, because that's so black and white. But like, what do you, I want somebody to ask me, like, what is it that you struggle with the most as an adoptee? Like, what is it, the? what do you think, how has it had a bearing on your life? Like, what? how do you look at your parents? Like, how do you move in this world? Because mm-hmm. those things, they make a difference. Yeah. 
Yep. But, th- but there are so many adoptees, myself included, that, you know, just really repress a lot of the stuff and just think yeah. that they're okay. And like, I'm fine and I'm doing great. And, you know, it's, it, it's just, you know, you, you know, mental health is it. Well, do you guys have repressed memory memories? Because I can't remember most of my childhood. Like, do you have dreams? Like, do, does it come out in dreams for you? Like my childhood or? Like child childhood memories. Because like I will have a like repressed memory and then I'll have a dream and I will recount like that memory in my dream. And then I'll ask people in my life and they'll be like, yeah, like that happened. And I'm like, oh. Yes. Yeah. So, so things that you don't know, that was one of the first things that I talked about with my therapist. Like there's things that I, I can't, I don't necessarily know that happened because they're either like thoughts or dreams that I don't, you know, they're very repressed. And I, I have a lot of stuff. I have memories since like nursery school. Like I remember the house that we lived in when I was like, we must, must've been two or three. And I, I remember that house. I, I could, I could draw the floor plan to you. I could, I could walk you through the entire house in my head. Can I ask you a question, Chris, that I'm just really curious about? Um, so did your adoptive family or your adoptive parents, did they like introduce Korean culture to you at all? No. And no. that, that you, to so me. So you were like a white guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no. I knew. Well, also like I lived overseas my entire life. So my dad worked for Exxon. Oh, Mobile. So okay. I was always submerged in different cultures, languages, customs. Um, and we lived in Italy, Singapore, London, and Norway. So my whole life, I'm a third culture kid by nature. So I can, I don't identify with any one culture because I've okay. had to assimilate to so many, but which is another layer on top of that. But, um, but yeah, I know more about Italian food than I do Korean food. I mean, okay. for sure. But the f- first time I heard of a white family adopting like a Korean child and then kind of educating themselves and then bringing that culture to their adopted child. Yes. To me, I was like, I didn't know how, I felt kind of apathetic about it. I was like, if someone said, don't you want that? I'm like, uh, pasta is good, man. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> like, I I don't, don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, it's not yeah. like something I'm longing for. And even when okay. I had Korean food for the first time, it, I, I think I kind of built it up in my head that I have to like this because I'm Korean. And then it was just this kind of like, I mean, I like Korean food, but it's not going to be my go-to thing, you know? Oh, um, see, so. Jamaican food and Caribbean food is definitely my go-to thing. <laughs> so oh, it gets good. a good jerk chicken and like, yeah, yeah that, oh, come on. Like, I love yeah. it so much. Yeah, oh, yeah for thank sure. you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so I think just to kind of like, uh, I mean, this, this is, I, I could talk forever about this, um, I know, especially too. with you. Um, so kind of talk to us about your profession, how, I mean, I think there's obviously a reason you got into that and um, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, again, kind of like growing up, I thought I had to do something that was like centered around sports because I like ran cross country and track like my whole life and stuff. Quick, like that. quick question: Your yeah. oldest brother, uh, Mark, the biological. Yeah. I'm just curious. I wanted to ask this earlier: Is he an athlete? He was. Yeah, okay. he was. Okay. Okay. He, okay. he he ended up getting hurt. Like had a really bad like hand accident, so and then after that, he couldn't. You know, okay. he couldn't do okay. it anymore. But yeah. he was basically like following that your dad's mold, like like Yes. Yeah, got yes. it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. I okay. mean, in like a line of like Olympic athletes, like my uncle was in the AFL. The, okay. Yep. Are you familiar? Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, he was in the AFL. So 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 yeah, long, long lines of that. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, ran cross country and track. I was always exposed to sports, like we're total sport family. My brothers were all fanatic sports fanatics. And incidentally, I don't really like sports that much. <laughs> so um, so I thought I wanted to do physical therapy. And then once I was like, went to go work in a physical therapy clinic, I was like, mm, it's not what I want to do. And um, I had always worked in like group homes. So I worked when I was younger. Um, me and my sister just always had a connection to like kids, you know, like, foster kids go figure and so I worked in a bunch of group homes and I loved it so much I loved it loved it loved it them kids some of them I still follow um but and so that was sort of my first introduction like into mental health and like um child psychology and um so I didn't I graduated with a degree in kinesiology which has nothing to do with (laughs) 
what I do now. And then I started when I was in Southern California, like I, once I worked at the group home, I ended up applying to a psych hospital. Oh, cool. So I applied to a psych hospital to be um, like a activities therapist. And I knew nothing really about working necessarily. Obviously the girls had their own problems, but it wasn't like necessarily like psych identified. But when I was going to go at this other job, it was a locked psychiatric facility. Oh, So I worked in a locked psychiatric hospital and it was there that I got like my introduction or, or sort of submersion in mental health. And so I, you know, did a lot of work there. Like, you know, we did lots of um, groups and like I said, activities, therapies and stuff like that. And at the time I was in my twenties and I had a lot of depression and a lot of things were coming up for me. I had just graduated from college, so I had to come back home. And so there was a lot of stuff around that. And um, so I, you know, I was having a hard time but then I started, I had a therapist and like things started to get better. So then I was like, you know, I always wanted to move. Like I wanted to move away from my family. Like I just was like, you know, I don't, Orange County, this wasn't it for me. So I'm like, I had went to San Jose State and I like Bay Area. So I'm like, well, let me try that again. So I applied for San Francisco County and I worked in a locked psych. So I got the job and I worked in a locked psychiatric facility in San Francisco. And then from there, I um, switched over jobs. So I'm a crisis, I'm a crisis worker. So what I do is um, San Francisco has a team, a psychiatric team that goes out and provides 5150 or psychiatric assessments to people who are in psychiatric crisis. Okay. So kids, both kids and adults. And so basically help them either get into the hospital or help them, you know, get connected to therapists or things like that. And I've been doing that for a while. Um, and then through the pandemic, I've been doing some contact tracing just because I'm working from home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah. That's awesome. And, yeah. I, I, and I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <sighs> mental health just in general, you know, I think, um, I, when I went to this conference in, at Berkeley, actually, about Korean adoption in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they talked about, um, and this is a common discussion amongst CADs or Korean adoptees, is that you know suicide rates in Korean adoptees is super high, and divorce rates, which I'm a part of a, like a small group here, and I'm like, hey, and we were at dinner one time before the pandemic, I'm like, hey, have any of you guys thought about like, you know, like suicide and like that type of stuff. And they're like, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, who who hasn't type of thing. And it's like, oh, okay. So I'm not, it's not just me. And I I just feel like that's part of this podcast also is that I I feel like if we just talk about this stuff, we could hopefully potentially save so many people that might just feel totally isolated and alone. And I remember being a child and wanting to die like feel I remember that so distinctly like I said before I having a fascination with death and mm-hmm. then also feeling very suicidal at so many different times throughout my life and not being able to say it out loud yeah and so my introduction into the mental health system like or you know just through work really um really opened up the journey for my healing and it's yep. you know I've been working with the same therapist for a long time she's pretty cool but it's it's yeah it's been really helpful well anyone that's watching or listening i mean i know that people have their opinions about therapy but honestly as an adoptee i think it's something that we 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 all almost have to go to and and uh work towards finding someone that can help us figure things out or be a soundboard or whatever that is you know um it's so important yeah so, but, um, wow, this was, I mean, I, I think this is a two part. Yeah, this was amazing. Thank yeah. you guys so much. Um, yeah, we would love to, I mean, the goal also, what's great about this is that we want to do obviously follow-ups with people and stuff like that. Yes, so I'm sure I'd later down the road. Yeah. I'd love to come back. You guys are so amazing. This has been such a healing space and such an amazing, I mean, there's, there's just power and mm-hmm. and allowing adoptees to share their voice, their story, um, because we actually we don't we get to do it, but not that often. I feel like there's yep. just not a lot of spaces that we get to openly talk about these things. And so, again, I'm so appreciative to both of you 
for using your beautiful selves to be a conduit. Well, that's that's like kind you. of why we wanted to, uh, you know, we we trademarked that hashtag adopted AF. Claire wants to talk. <laughs> yeah, it's just unreal to meet people just like yourself and like Chris. It's just been so phenomenal. I feel like throughout this process, like I um, I just feel like this like small person from a small place, and like to get to meet these like enigmatic, beautiful, creative individuals like yourself, it's just you know it, it wells up emotion right? Like, it's just so wonderful. And like, you know, it's just like insane that to me that I get to be part of this wonderful movement, you know, like, even just like, I would have, I would have felt blessed just to get to listen to the podcast. And so I just take it with so much to have it resonate with people who are as wonderful as yourself. You know, it's just, this is just something that's so beautiful. And I'm just really grateful to get to know you and just to listen to your story. It's Thank been wonderful. You. Thank you so much. And I want to go on the record by saying this, and I know Claire doesn't always like it when I say this, but this whole podcast, this concept was her brainchild. And I think that that needs to be said because I didn't, I wanted to start a podcast, but I didn't know where to start. And I think my my subconscious is like, don't do adoption because there's so much going on there and you don't, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. opening doors and doing that whole thing. Um, but yeah, this was Claire's thought and kind of, um, you know, a uh, passion project f- a long time ago that now has kind of come to f- fruition, which is great. Um, and I'm just grateful to kind of oh, be on the ride. I think it's hard to talk like about like- it. It gets, um, you know, it's so personal. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and you don't know if it's if something someone else says it's gonna like trigger you, especially like where you are like in your adoption journey. Mm-hmm. You're not, yeah. you know, you're still like in the thick of it. For me, I know so much that yeah, I've been able to move past that that part. But it's yeah. going back to what you were saying, like we as adoptees, we just want closure. We want, yes. and that's really what the birth parent searches are for me that's anyway. It. It's just more closure. It's not about living with my Korean family and, and <laughs> denouncing my adoptive family and saying, this is who I am and I'm going to be in South Korea and I'm going to do it. You know, it's like, that has nothing to do with it. It's just getting those puzzle pieces, putting it there just so yeah. you feel like, all right, the whole thing is there. You know, it all makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It all makes sense. But does anything make sense? there we go it's like like, who am i it's like that that zoolander moment where he's looking in the puddle he's like who am i i was like going through this assumption that one day i'd find the answers but like i'm talking to all the adoptees that are like oh i'm a little bit further in it than you and i'm like oh okay it's still we don't know we know nothing still like we know everything but nothing so for me i'm like i'm realizing that you know no matter how far you are in your search you don't you don't get all the answers. And I think That's we have to be right. okay with that. 100%. You have to be able as an, as an adopted person, you have to be able to find peace mm-hmm. with the unknown. Like you have to be able to sit with that. And, and because you can't, there's no way that we'll get it all. Even people who know both of their adoptive, you know, or their biological parents, they still don't, there's still parts of the story. So that has been, an important part of my healing journey is to know that I am a whole person, like Mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not I find out everything, you know, and, and I have to believe that I have to believe that this is the way that my life is set up for this reason, you know, for whatever reasons they are. And, and, and I'm in this situation and I can't change it. And, and that's what we need to start doing is really changing yeah. the, the wording. You know, I think that that's yes. like Claire touched, yeah. touched, about, touched upon that earlier. And if we can change the wording and change our uh, perspective, you know, it's like anything else. You can look at something and see the glass half empty or you can look at his glass half full, you know, so. And it touches upon one of our previous um, interviews, Jackie. So it is someone that I came into contact similar to you. Oh, my gosh, I am the witcher. that's my role I just bring people to find their stories and connecting with people but she um was um born with reproductive assisted methods and we 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 like realized that we needed to open this community up for anyone looking for a biological origin unknown and she was talking about you know the the verbiage and like of 
I, I don't really want to say the term, but you are saying she shouldn't exist. We live in a time now where it's about taking the things that hinder us and owning it and empowering ourselves with yeah. the things that might be perceived as negative and just getting it tattooed on you and like shouting it from the rooftop and saying, I'm an adopted AF and I'm proud of it. And that's what we want this movement to be about. But that blows my mind. I was a little 21 year old punk rock chick with piercings everywhere, half of my head shaved in my bathroom. And I took a Sharpie and I wrote adopted AF on a white, like Kirkland <laughs> Costco t-shirt. Yeah. And I, I just wrote adopted AF on a bunch of my clothes. So for me, it's just like, how is this like, you know, like, you but know, you see how long like, this has been stewing in her brain. And this is all about just the connection, right? Yeah, and it's like, yeah. how many people can you connect with? How many people can you shed your light on and spread, you know, just to spread so much good vibes? And these are so, these, these spaces are so important to, mm -hmm. to just have and to be able to share your story because someone's going to listen to this and they're going to be like, I feel exactly like that person. And maybe that you, might, yeah. yeah. It's a tipping point. Them. If you'd like to connect with us on Instagram or TikTok, you can find us at Origins Unknown Podcast. You can follow my co-host at Beyond the Tats. You can find me at Sea Bear Huntington. We're also on Twitter. Follow us at O Unknown Podcast. If you'd like to visit our website, it's OriginsUnknownPodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to send us questions, uh, share your story, or even just say hi, you can send us an email at hello at originsunknownpodcast.com. Special thanks to Pace Randolph for writing, performing, and producing the audio for our podcast. Follow him on Spotify for more wonderful music. I think I walked the long way home. Now fall just pick me up and hold me close when things get rough. And you're